Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to continue in our subject matter that we've been in this series about anxiety. Specifically, we're going to be talking about those anxieties that that come when we think about the future. I mean, we can't control the future, and there's a lot of uncertainty that stems around our inability to predict the future, and so we're going to talk about that. But we're also going to be talking about this challenge that we got in this text that Alex preached on last week, where Jesus says, don't worry about your life. God takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers of the field. And then in this episode, we're going to say, well, does he? Does he really take care of the birds? Birds die. Sometimes they get harmed. Sometimes they get eaten by other animals. Um, Or what about the flowers of the field? Does he actually take care of the flowers of the field? And what about the many situations we've met really faithful followers of Jesus and bad stuff happens to them? What is Jesus actually promising? And maybe we should be worrying about all, you know, these are the kinds of things we're going to wrestle with in this episode. And so uh, with that teaser, I'm going to dive right into the episode and you can hear for yourself what we conclude about some of these very tricky and sticky questions. Thanks for tuning in. Testing. All right. We're live. We are. We are. Wait, but we were already live a few minutes ago. I know. And you did such a good job welcoming people. And now you you just didn't want me to do the... You tripped the power, so I didn't get to introduce us. Yeah. The question is whether actually on on the different platforms. Welcome to the Red Couch Theology Podcast. Yeah, we have this cool thing. So if you don't know, if you're a listener that's not a part of South Fellowship Church... Which turns out there's a few of you out there. A few, yeah. Um, then welcome. That's kind of cool. But what you may not know about South Fellowship Church is we have this ancient strip mall, <laughs> and um, sixty-five thousand square foot strip mall. It's crazy big. And oh, no. Oh, the audio is there. We're good. We okay. There. okay. So what, what's fun about this strip mall is several um, several times over the last several years, actually. I, I've been here 12 years, and occasionally we have weird electrical things and whatever. If you, if and you get into the ceiling, it kind of like hums and occasionally like static jolts you. It's kind of fun. Yeah, so like the last, the most recent time we had some weird electrical issues here at the building, I went back and looked at the electrical panel, and it was like, um, there's like tape over things and like handwritten notes and all this stuff. And, and it was like 75, don't touch this. It's yeah. It's super, super confident inducing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, uh, our awesome facilities team, they, you know, took a look at that and they're like, yeah, we're going to fix this. Mm-hmm. So the good news is we're getting that fixed. The bad news is we started this podcast already before, but now we have an electrician here who's going through relabeling all of our so circuits. So we disappear. Like we did last time. We already did this. We were up and running. We're talking. We we actually solved world hunger, yeah, we and did, yeah. you guys missed it. Because... But if you're listening to this on iTunes, um, <laughs> then you won't know any of that, and you didn't even hear the shortened version. But if you're listening on iTunes, you should go on iTunes rating system and give us a rating, because that's... There you dumb. go. There you go. We still have more on YouTube, believe it or not, than on iTunes. YouTube is where it's at. It's where it's even at. Anyway. Though as we learned this Sunday, the guy that found YouTube wasn't sure it was going to work. Yeah. Um, because human beings are not good at predicting the future, it turns out. Um, Indeed. So, yeah, on this week's episode, we're uh, we're talking about future anxiety. Mm. Um, so hopefully... Well, first, maybe just the future in general, because the future is nebulous, right? I mean, that's it's kind of like its, its purpose. It, it's... 
It, its purpose is I, to be nebulous. Maybe. Really? Well, well, may, may, maybe there's a reason we're not supposed to overdwell on the future. Huh. Um, so, like, you can't see the future in the same way you can see the past or the present. That was C.S. Lewis's theory anyway. Um, the future is the element of time least like eternity, is what he said. Okay, wow. All right, you got to unpack that some more. So we're already into the meat of stuff. You're going to throw quotes well, like no, that we're at not, me? We're not, we're, we're, we're kind of futuring. I'm, like, and we're I'm not, not anxiety. sure I'm ready. I'm even, like, I got to be warmed up. I'm just trying to give up. you some anxiety for the future <laughs> uh, or about the future. Okay, wait, wait, wait. C.S. Lewis said that the future was the time, element of time, least like eternity. How, okay. So Unpack so, that. So, so he, what he would say is that the present is the only time that eternity touches time. Or the only, only part of time that eternity touches. Like eternity in God's experience is not like this long view back and this long view forward, like this linear thing. It's an ever-present now. So we tend to think of like eternity just as time going on forever. And and C.S. Lewis and most philosophers said no, it's it's just not time, it's just it's removed from okay. the structures of time. Now I'm tracking. So so like we tend to think yeah, like, wow, it's just this thing just going and going and going. It's like no no no, it's not going anywhere. It's it's like constantly being. Um, and so the moment you experience now is the moment that's most like eternity. The 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 past is the past. It happened. It's concrete. Uh, and so it's knowable, but the future is just this mystery in our human experience that we can't predict as it turns out, uh, even when we yeah. think we can. Although there's all these different things that we do predict. I mean, I gave people on Sunday a load of things that were mispredicted. Yeah. Um, like like a bunch of, like, like Steve Jobs saying that the Segway was going to get rid of walking. I mean, like, uh, and, and the people that said, no, telephones, we'll never use those. Um, so it turns out we're bad at predicting like whether things will work or not. And yet at the same time, there's, there's, if you go to the Simpsons, actually, the Simpsons has accurately predicted the future, like multiple times it predicted Donald Trump being president. And I mean, who really saw that coming? Um, like it's, it's tapped into some pretty accurate predictions accidentally. That's funny. So, so I guess there's this mystery to it. Um, and then, and so really, yes, the, how we talked about that on this week was, it was anxiety around the future. Yeah. So you know what gives me anxiety? Uh, whenever you let go of your cup <laughs> and it just sits there on this padded surface, it just makes me anxious. <laughs> and maybe rightfully so, since you already spilled that exact cup on the chair earlier. If it makes you feel any better, there's hardly anything left. In I know. I'm just messing. Um, yeah, so... Um, what does make you anxious? That's a psychological question, right? That would be... Oh, yeah. Like me personally? Yeah. And the, do, do you oh, experience man. anxiety for the future? I mean, maybe that's too uh, too heavy and personal for the lightweight theology podcast that we do. Ah, <laughs> uh, I feel like I, I, I know I do. Yeah. But it's uh, like which specific issues... Mm are not maybe at the forefront of my mind, which is actually uh, a very interesting thing to recognize I think, that I, th I think awareness is, is 
low when it comes to what are my anxieties. Usually I'm, I do tend to, uh, to be more anxious about current, mm. slightly more current issues. And if they are in the future, they're really near, like super yeah. far out distant anxieties aren't as big of a deal for me, mainly because I can just hide away from them. Yeah. I, I, I don't really think a lot. I'm saying like, I, I don't really think a ton about like, like I, I'm saving for my retirement, but I'm not like tracking it. And maybe it's like an age thing. I'm not feeling like it's that close. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a conversation set up with my uh, um, retirement guy to talk about, should I have opted out of social security? Should I opt out of social security? Um, all those different things like, but it's not really anxiety. Um, but yeah. I, I, I do think if I have anxiety about the future, it's this vague awareness that I'm about to enter this phase of life where suddenly the sweet little adorable kids that I have are about to hit years that like pull them in all sorts of directions. And, and maybe you, I mean, you're a little bit further ahead on the kid. I mean, a couple of years ahead, three years ahead. Yeah. Um, and tied at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, we have a 10-year gap between. Tiny little kids. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think that like, oh, well, what's going to happen? You know, right now you've got full, almost full control over your kids. Like you say, no, you can't do this. They can't do it. You can, you can lock down stuff. And, and then suddenly you, you move into this phase where you start giving them cars and you start giving them internet access and you start giving them all these different things. And you're like, oh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't actually know that that's as concrete as it's felt for a long time. Um, yep. and, and so I think that that's not like something that I would feel like, you know, we've talked about symptoms of anxiety. It's not that I have obvious symptoms about it. It's, it's more like a, huh, I wonder, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so you, you hunker down specifically in, um, single in in one main passage in the sermon on the mount um and so talk about that a little bit because the and how that text sort of uh, aligned with this idea of future uh, or anxiety that starts with challenges related to the well future. so it's it's delightfully mysterious because for those of you that aren't super familiar with um a framework for understanding biblical writers, which maybe some of us uh, were working with a, a book, Matthew, um, written in Greek, probably with a bunch of sayings that were said in Aramaic that he's put into book form in a different language. And uh, now we're reading it in English in all sorts of translations. You may have the NIV, the ESV, all these different acronyms we throw out. Some of them are great. Some of them are okay. Some of them are trying to be different so they can sell another version of the Bible. It's I mean, there's <laughs> there's all those different elements that go into reading a, a text that's 2,000 years old. Yeah. Uh, and so reading the English words, what we read is, is Jesus talking about worry on the surface. So I can't actually read it on Aaron's tiny little screen. Oh. You can probably read it. Here you go. 625. Uh, yeah. and, and why do you worry about clothes? Uh, oh, no, I need to read higher than that. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food, is not the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life, the actual literal Greek there is an inch to your height, which I feel regularly because I stand next to Aaron on stage and people come up to me afterwards and say, you're a lot taller than you look on stage. And I'm like, because I'm standing next to someone who's six foot four. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a perfectly reasonable six foot and half an inch. So, um, so interesting about this passage is similar to the Philippians text. There's sort of this feeling like, just don't worry. And you're kind of like, Ugh, I, how? Anxiety inducing. Yeah, it's anxiety inducing. And especially if not worrying then becomes a spiritual test that you pass or fail. Yes, yes. So it uh, on one reading of this, like if you just looked at that passage, uh, if you want to look it up at yourself again, it's Matthew 6, starting in 25. Uh, you could say, okay, here's the formula. Mm. The formula is don't worry because God God takes care of the birds and the and the flowers of the field. And as long as you don't worry, he's going to take care of you too, and everything's going to be dandy. And then you're kind of like step back, and you know, if you're if you're critical, if you have a critical eye or thought process at all, suddenly yeah. you're like, is he even? Now, yeah, is he, he even right? Even even like so, I, I tend to split like different, um, like the three broad readings that I think we operate in in church circles, and I try and land. In the middle one, which of course I therefore think is the healthy one. So there's <laughs> there's like an overly literal reading, which is just, I don't need any framework for understanding scripture. I can read it as a 21st century person as though it wasn't written 2000 years ago, which I don't think is healthy. Then there's the supreme critical reading, which is, I'm going to come with my own framework that's so rigid. If this doesn't seem like something a rabbi would say in the first century, I'm going to assume Jesus didn't really say it and it's been changed or redacted or all those different things. And I'm like, eh. even just if you accept Jesus is vaguely who he says he is, he's clearly not just a normal rabbi and therefore can say some things that no other rabbi has said. So there's these two like different extremes. And, th and then the middle one is what I would call believing criticism, um, which is approaching the text to want to learn like the depths of it why is the language this way? What does this mean? Like, is Jesus being, um, is he using hyperbole? Is he doing something intentional, like reflecting back on a past story, all those different elements, while generally holding this belief that God is working in the world through his son, Jesus, for yeah. its redemption and salvation. So it's, it's like hopefully the middle ground of those two different things. So you come to this text, and, and my first question is, has Jesus not seen anyone starve? Because it feels like in the first century, even any in birds Judah, yeah, starve. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, uh huh. Yeah. And given his people's story, uh, I mean, the, there's there's multiple times that the story of his people has been: we're in a city, we're under siege, people are starving to death. So, so you kind of read it, and you're like, huh. Like, what, what do you mean God feeds the birds and therefore he'll feed you? So um, this is maybe just a side note to affirm, because I would share a similar perspective to how we should engage a text that you just described. But like, 
uh, in my experience, one of the one of the exciting things about a passage is when it rubs me wrong, mm-hmm. or when I don't even think it could possibly be true, yeah. because I feel like those are almost like, um, like little hints that this one's really important. Yeah. If it chafes against me a little yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. or I don't understand, or it's confusing, or it seems like I disagree, even usually that's a sign that I should mm-hmm. hang out there yeah. and, and keep praying and keep studying and keep exploring until I find the nugget. And usually those nuggets, when I do get to them, tend to be more fruitful, more life-giving, and more um, helpful in my life than some of the things that seem like really easy and self-evident. And you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, totally, I agree, and it's good to go. And and, and then and then the, the other tension with this passage is is what does he mean by the word worry, which in, in Greek is, is rooted in a word, marimneo, which worry, distracted, it's got all of these different elements swirling around. And so, so then the question becomes like, take the word worry, Jesus, what do you mean? Are you talking about worrying about having enough or worrying about getting plenty? And those are completely different things. Yes, totally. Well, so let's maybe look look at this passage again and factor in that Mm, Maramayo. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Um, Word. So, so here's the passage again. So therefore, I tell you, do not be distracted by, about your life or divided, mm-hmm. sort of like yeah. your mind is in too many places. Don't let that be the focus. So don't be don't be overly focused on the you know about your life when you will eat, when you will drink, your, uh, your body, uh, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, um, and so on and so forth. So. And so then how, the language how, becomes how, like... How are you suggesting that changes this feel? Well, so then it becomes like, look at the birds of the air. They're not striving for extra, yet they've got plenty. Look at the flowers of the fields. They're not striving to get the best clothes. And yet does even Solomon wear clothes as good as they? Then then all the language points in this direction of like, uh, of 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 desire for the best. Uh, and so there's there's definitely, with the two elements, Jesus picks food and clothing, they they tread this line between necessity and luxury, uh, and and I felt that it's weird. Like this this week in studying this passage, I have a house that most lots of people would love. My house, it's a it's a lovely house. Um, uh, you know, God provided it for us in this wonderful way. It was sold to us by an elder here who was moving on just as we were arriving, and and it was real like this moment of provision. It's in our price range. We can afford it. It's gone up in value. There's all these different elements to it. We sit on the deck. You can see the mountains, everything we hope for in a house in Colorado. And then we do small group with a couple that just moved out uh, to um, Sedalia. Uh, And so we went over to see their house. And I said semi-jokingly to them, I've been lovely, wonderful houses since I moved here. This is the most envious I've felt of a house. Like it's 10 acres. It's got these old wood floors. It feels like a home that's been lived in for centuries. Like it's got some Englishness to it as well, which is probably what attracted me to it. Yeah. And so like I'm home the next day, like Googling houses in Sedalia, looking for ones with warm old wood floors (laughs) Um, when I'm supposed to be writing a sermon. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm lost in the, the marimneo of distraction in this moment. 
Yes. Try, trying to get myself something that I don't need. That was actually a little bit of an aha moment for me as you were preaching, because um, you just, you very gently pointed out and, and maybe encouraged people uh, to ask themselves, are the things I'm anxious about in the future stemming from like doom gloom issues yes or dangers or are they that i'm not going to get the things that i really hoped i was going to get possession wise or experience or life comfort wise and i was like ooh, that feels close to home and, and, and the bizarre thing for me knowing lots of people in our community both services when i got to the point of talking about i actually used the phrase like um in terms of like necessity and luxury, like it's there's having a house and then there's having a second house. And, and, and I actually, there were people sat on the front or second row in both services, both of whom I know have just both bought or are building a second home. Uh, and I was like, do I hold back from that? Because in actual fact, the thing is, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. Totally. Like, like I'm like, in actual fact, knowing both of their stories, like God has provided in a particular way and, and knowing those people, they'll use those homes for wonderful things and hospitality and all those different elements. What Jesus is talking about is the obsession of it. And the anxiety of not being able to and yes, or... exactly. Or, you know, I actually... I actually don't know if this is true because I've never been like obnoxiously wealthy, <laughs> but I've, I've heard that it's very anxiety inducing because you just have so many variables out there that you own of assets and yeah. real estate and stuff that sometimes it's almost anxiety inducing because it's just so many things to try and factor in. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I used, I think in a sermon, this, this acquaintance of mine who said like, no recession can, can make it so I have to work again. Now it felt to me at the time a little bit like whoa, it's like building barns and yeah, you know. But at the same time, it could easily have been true, like for the most part, ninety nine percent true. Yeah, and it, even he said like, I am still an anxious person, not anxious for me personally. That was where he was really going with it. Yeah, but it was I have six hundred employees, and yes. every time the economy starts to tank, I'm like, wow, who loses their job? Um, because I don't have enough money to be able to just pay them for nothing. So, so like th there is always another level of anxiety that can land on you depending on wealth. And you might have someone who said, well, yeah, you do have enough money as long as you sacrifice some yourself. Yeah. And you're like, but that's not how someone gets to the position that they're in. Totally. And, like and someone who's frugal doesn't get to the end and becomes wealthy over time doesn't get there by making horrible financial decisions. And, and so most, just, of them, most of them are aware that they could give away everything that they have um, and, and give this huge one-time gift. But in actual fact, by having wealth that accumulates, they can give away more over a lifetime than they ever could by just getting rid of it all. Yeah, it's like, yeah, so it's not that simple. It's not that, it's not that having possessions is evil or any of those things what this text is hinting at is this division of heart and this this like anxiety that surrounds those possessions and like almost like closed fist around uh -huh. either the possession itself or the dream of yes having it or not having it. And, and this this is where jesus teaching gets really hard for us that have chosen to follow him, I think, because the context mm. for all of this 
is in this Sermon on the Mount that you reference. It's 2,000 words long. Takes about 12 minutes to deliver, which is way shorter than most of my sermons. So I read it, I'm like, huh, this is what being concise looks like. Um, <laughs> I, uh, not something that's in my wheelhouse. Mine um, either. So every time, so <laughs> every time I've preached, it's super hard. I make fun of preachers all the time. And then when I <laughs> preach, I'm like, well. 56 minutes later. Um, so, so Jesus context for this, or Ma the context Matthew actually places this in the, the biographies, uh, Jesus, the crowds follow Jesus up a mountain and his disciples gather around him and he teaches them like the, the crowds can listen and some of them will opt in to discipleship based on listening. They'll pick up practical wisdom that Jesus has a good way to live, but for the follower, for the people that have chosen and been chosen discipleship um for for them these are commands this is his yoke his way of living he's like if you want to follow me this is what it looks like that's that's the sermon on the mount purpose um yeah it's his thesis statement about what sh should be yeah and, and so you, you don't really as a follower get to say yes or no to different elements of it you're either in on the whole or you're not in uh, i mean that that's the implication behind uh someone giving their thesis of life um, a rabbi giving what was called a yoke, like a, a thing that you wore. So for us, this is like, no, th this is, this is what it looks like to follow me. And his whole point is you're called to the kingdom. This big story, don't get distracted by non-kingdom stuff. A and that is so different than the call to follow Jesus in the 21st century, which is say a prayer like make sure you go to the right place when you die, but just keep living like everybody else for the most part. So, so, so Jesus says in this really challenging way, my, my followers don't worry about having enough and they don't worry about getting more. Like that, that's the, the broad stroke statement of it. Yes. Like if you're following me and you're part of my kingdom, you will be taken care of. And we're like, Ooh, Really? Uh, and you don't need to stress about getting more and more stuff. And we're like, ooh, really? Yeah, okay. So then um, what about uh, the, the stories I've heard of, like, um, missionaries who are starving and they were or martyred yeah. or whatever, and they've, they're focused on the kingdom. Totally. And yet they're poor and hungry and abused. And so... Uh, yeah, what's up with that? Wait, 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 hold on a second. When I raised that issue the first time when we first talked about this, you're the one that talked about the missionaries that were fed, and I was the one that questioned whether Jesus is right. I think you should answer that question on me. Because <laughs> you were like, oh, yeah, everyone gets provided for. No, that's not well, really what you said. No, it isn't. It isn't. But it's. I think it's worth bringing up again it because is. it is a tension in all of these passages, right? So I think what we reflected on in our personal experience, which, which again, hard part of following Jesus, I have my personal experience. It doesn't override what Jesus says. Totally. So, so, but my my like testiness with it, my struggle with it is, I have seen this both work and not work, from my perspective. Depending on how you define work. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I, I know ways, like, I, I worked with an organization out in Romania that fed 200 people a day, all of them elderly, homeless, many of them disabled or 
mentally ill and uh, the guy that I've talked about the guy that ran it before but Varel would say sometimes you know we just didn't have anything and a huge pile of meat would just turn up on the doorstep yeah don't know where it came from didn't have enough to pay for it and it just turned up as a gift um and and I've heard those stories in more places than I can count um missionaries that needed to raise funds for a certain amount and the exact amount appears on a check that day in the post um so, yeah. so, so, so the answer is that yes god does seem to show up in some unique and supernatural ways for those who are on task and on mission that does seem to be a pattern mm -hmm. that that's evidence that that is evident in the world um, but there's also some outliers where you're like, well, what's going on with that? Were they just not faithful enough? Did they not uh, avoid worry hard enough? Mm. Um, and that was that was that tension. But then you actually shifted and made this argument. I mean, I've got your your big idea here that I thought um, the way you took it was I've got to write open the right app. This is where you sort of landed. We think future peace depends on prosperity, but it actually depends on presence and I think what your argument was is there there may be this pattern where God provides for those who are really on task and on mission and advancing his kingdom but there's also outliers but there's one thing that's never an outlier mm -hmm. he he is present in and through it all yeah and, I and think that's a that's a promise that we can take to the bank and it'll cash every time and, and i think that that's where it gets fascinating right with with reading scripture and it's these different writers that come together to form a cohesive narrative that we believe god has breathed on and inspired in a particular way so it's different than any other book you get to have scripture interpret scripture it's fascinating you get to read it in the different light like like yeah. paul specifically says can anything separate us from the love of god can nakedness well, how can there be nakedness if there's just if, if Jesus' text here is simply "they'll always be clothing"? Yeah. Can starvation? Can hunger? Well, how can there be hunger if this text is simply "oh no, there's always food"? Like, like it specifically says there are times where we go through that situation. Which would be one argument against the whole super duper literalist style of interpretation, right? Uh huh. Anyway, I'll just set that aside. Yeah. That's beside the point. In, in actual fact, like Jesus, Jesus' bigger argument here seems to be. Not about whether the circumstances are always good, but what we actually achieve with our worry. Um, like what we actually achieve with our distraction. His teaching point seems to be you're actually, you get off mission when that's your obsession. Yes. You, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't end up operating well within the rhythms of my big story when you're obsessed with this world story. And so his encouragement to his followers is, you don't, need to, you don't need to let this stuff get to you. It's different for you than everybody else. Of course, people outside of the story are going to obsess over it. Yeah. Uh, but you don't need to obsess over it. Like there's, there's a biggest, and, and, and again, when you couple that with his teaching on, on what this life means and this world means and how tied or attached you should be to it, well, it all seems to make sense. Like even if he doesn't provide, is that the worst thing? I mean, we've talked about that in terms of anxiety. Like our, uh, one of both of our practices is to go through the progressions of, well, how bad can the story be? Yeah. And you get to like, well, even if, 
even if, even if this, even if, and that's what Paul does. Um, yeah, totally. And so your conclusion at the end of the message was this big idea that this, like we, we have this maybe false perception that like, if we get the formula right, if we don't worry and we have enough faith and we play the game right, the end game will be prosperity. Yes. Some sort of earthly, financial, monetary, clothing yeah. outcome. And the answer is sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes not. There's too many examples uh, throughout history that that's not been the case. But what you're suggesting is that presence is the guarantee uh, um, through any situation. And you did that. Um, red card, green card uh -huh. illustration. Uh, it was actually a pink card. <laughs> it was annoyingly a pink, pink card. Pink card. Red card, green card, pink card. So yeah, unpack that for people. What was going on with that? Um, so, so yeah, we 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 the, the first way of reading that when we looked at the text and we talked about was it worry in terms of not having enough in terms of necessity or is it distraction in terms of luxury? Well, well, like if we read it the first way, we're constantly worried about the things on the red card, which in Jesus' illustration, things yeah, we well, well, in Jesus' bad. illustration, yeah. it's just not having enough food and not having enough clothes. The very first century. Yep. We've probably added just by our way of living a whole bunch of other stuff yep. to that subject. Like we worry about everything because we're always feeling this need. It's now no longer food and clothing. It's finding the right school for our kids. It's finding like the right house to live in. It's like, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that could go on that red card. Uh, and so if we read it the first way, like we are, we are inclined wired to worry about the red card and Jesus implication is like, no, you don't need to worry about the red card. Uh, and then if we read it the second way in terms of distraction, we have a whole bunch of stuff on the green card. Um, and that can be anything from, I, I want this new outfit that I saw in the store all the way through. I, I want a second home all the way through. I want to be able to, I don't know, fly to Hawaii twice a year and do a beach vacation. Like, and, and then like the, the theories, we just chase the green card. Um, and either way, Jesus pulls us back into, no, 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 you don't worry. You don't chase. And, and, and it's a recognition that sometimes the worry about the red card the the chasing of the green card is really on one hand a worry that God won't provide and we mm. won't have enough or potentially with the other one. And this is the one that I find really like grabs at me a little bit is I, I want to get to a place where I don't need to rely on God for anything. Like that's the, the undercurrent of it. Like, you know, I'm self-sufficient now. And, and, and why is that so dangerous? Well, well, the implication of it is, is we think our accumulated stuff is more reliable than our father. Like, yes. like that, that's the, that's the, that's the, the story of that Jesus pulls in of the guy with the barns. Yep. Um, oh, I, I had barns. I had more stuff. So I built bigger barns to put them in. And now and if I have enough of them and they're all situated in full, then maybe I can no kick recession back and can touch me. Like, it's like, yep. it's that, that's the, how can you ever operate as someone in the kingdom when that's the mentality? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the danger for us, I think as 21st century followers is that we give just enough to that kingdom that we feel like we've done just enough. And, and 
the dangerous ask is that the the dangerous reading of Jesus is that he really says <laughs> everything you have is mine. It's just you're just a steward. Yeah. And I can't remember if we talked about this the other week, but it's it's so worth telling again because it's it's such a great illustration to me. Like when you think of yourself as a steward over your stuff, like you're you're kind of like a house sitter in our modern day language. And and what's the two dangers of a house sitter? Like on one hand, like if I ask someone to look after my house while I'm gone, the one danger is that they just say, you know what? I'm not really fussed about any of this stuff. I'm going to spill stuff. I'm not going to clear it up. I'm going to leave the doors open. Um, and when Alex comes back, his house is going to be trashed and I won't even be here. Um, th that's like the, the, our natural fear. The other danger is that I get back and they've changed the lock on the door and they're sitting in the living room that used to be mine with their Xbox on the TV and they refuse to let me in because they've taken ownership. And, and those are both like the potential like pitfalls huh. of stewardship, like that stewardship lands in the middle. Yeah. But stewardship moves to ownership really easily. Um, and in actual fact, like for the, for the Tolkien nerds out there, which I'm sure there's two, um, th that's the question that comes up in, in, in Tolkien's language. The steward says to his son, like, no, uh, um, totally. Yeah. So, all right. One, maybe one final question. All right. It seems like, and if you hadn't been catching on to this, we've actually hinted at it a couple different times in the, in the podcast that each week presence has been sort of, uh, this biblical, remedy or spiritual remedy toward of anxiety in mm. one way, shape, or form. And first of all, we get, and we've said this on each episode, we get that just saying that it is one thing, experiencing is a whole other challenge. And sometimes getting to a place of health when it deals with anxiety does require some professional help and those sorts of things. So we don't want to negate that and just say, yeah. this is the solution. Just remember that God's with you. Mm. Um, but that, that leads me to my question. Maybe there's someone out there and they're like, yeah, okay, presence? Mm. It's not that big of a promise for me. I don't really enjoy God's presence or I haven't experienced it in a long time or, 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 or like that doesn't even sound like that big of a promise to me. How is that supposed to deal with my anxiety? And there's, and there's, there's obviously like there's two really obvious ways you could take that. C.S. Lewis, who I quoted earlier, I mean, an evangelical, so it's like quoting the Pope for a Catholic. It's like, <laughs> um, but, but <laughs> nice. So, so he, he, he talks about um, there is clearly a difference between the idea is God is that God is present and that is an experience. So it's like, like, okay, like there's a, there's a, there's a theological truth to presence. We talked about it when we did yeah, communion. We're, yeah, we're like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, he's here. Yeah. Yeah. So so we did, we talked about that like with, with communion, like God is present in a particular way. Yeah. But that's not necessarily like an awareness we have in any of our senses. And then lurking around are these stories of like, oh no, I've had moments where God was present and it changed everything. It was concretely different. Um, yes. So, so okay. that, like, like it's possible just possible, and, and again, all philosophy is maybes and perhapses. It's just possible that if you were to approach 
the idea of God's presence and say, huh, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. It might be because you haven't experienced it in that particular way. And that might be a possibility. And you might find that if you did experience it, it would change everything about how you thought about God's presence and all of your situation that you live in. That, that's just a possibility that... Yeah, totally. Know, we, so we, I, we, we, we would... So that's the first one. Yeah, okay. The, se the second element theologically to presence is, is how Jesus saw the church because it was a different type of community. Yeah. Um, and so when it, when it talks about presence, in actual fact, that's one of the theological readings of this text. Like the, the writer Clarence Jordan would say, well, how do the birds get their food? Well, they get it because the system provides it. The flowers get it because the system ecology provides it. How do the followers of Jesus get their food? Well, the system that they've chosen to live in provides it. Like, so, so he would say it's abhorrent that any, any follower of Jesus in a community should be lonely, hungry, naked, like any of those elements, because the community should, when it's working right, provide. And, and that's like what you see in the first church community, the Acts community. Did anyone have, not have enough? No. Was it because they all were getting packages of meat on their doorstep or they all had good jobs? No. The, yes. the community came together and said, no, we, we, we are present with each other and yeah. God is present with us in that. So that, 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 that's like, that, that's the second element. It's not just a... Yeah, it's like, how is God present? Yeah. He's present in and through his people. Yes. With, for each other. Like, um, one of the challenges of being a follower of Jesus uh, is that... And actually, this is true, maybe, of a bunch of different things related to faith, but it's, it's like he's not physically here to talk to and ask mm. a question and then get the hug, you know, like that sort of thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, I left my church for that purpose. And that, I, I had this really interesting conversation with a friend who um, was, she was just questioning theologically whether the church she was in was the right place, like whether it had enough vision, whether it had enough, like of the same tendencies and stuff. And then they had like had this family tragedy, huh? Um, or near tragedy, family moment of crisis. Yeah, and the church just like came around them and and poured out love for them yeah and, and so my question in the midst of that was so what does that mean and then there's this moment of like oh no these are my people um the, it's funny how like all the things we think are really important like is the church like theologically do i agree with everything is the church on mission enough is the church this is the do they church do the that? style of music that i like do they yeah is, 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 it, is it clean too loud? is, is too it quiet? tidy is it, is all it... those different elements does it meet in a building with a steeple does it meet in a strip mall fade away in moments of crisis and the only question you're left with are are these my people yeah um which was fascinating to me really like you, you can get very Oh yeah, like uh, I might look for a different community, and then you realize, well, if you've actually got people that are your people, um, then then that's a wonderful place to be. Totally. In. Well, was there anything else that you thought, like, okay, here we are, in the middle of the week, you preached this message several days ago, and maybe something resonated, but you're like, you know, I really hope that halfway through the week, our community doesn't forget, fill in the blank. 
so so I think if anything, it is just this awareness of of how. And we'll get to this in a few weeks when we talk about listening to the voice of God. Yeah. Um, just how difficult this is to do. Any of the Sermon on the Mount stuff is to do really without this constant engagement with with who God is. And 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 e even that process of learning the conversational relationship. Because the, this is all natural, isn't it? Like it is natural to worry, will you have enough? Like you start looking at retirement, you start looking at um, inflation, deflation. Defla yeah, uh, trying to buy a house, trying to provide for your kids. Like we, Laura and I send our kids to this school that we love, but it does cost a little bit to to send them there. Um, it's not a public school, and that was like a conscious choice. Yeah. Um, and so we made that choice, and then Jude would go next year, and so we kind of looked at each other and said, well, do we want Jude to go? And we were like, well, we don't want him to go to public school five days a week we like this rhythm as a family um but it's going to cost this much extra uh, and the natural tendency is to be like oh my goodness where's that going to come from and i kind of looked at laura and said we can't really afford the the two we're paying for at the moment like does a third one actually make any difference <laughs> yeah like i'm not sure it does in terms of we we're still looking for provision um totally but we're we're asking the question, God, like, is this what you have for them? Yeah. Um, so so it is it is hard to do out. It's impossible to do outside the idea of relationship, and that's what Jesus really drives home. Yeah, and so maybe this ties the whole conversation into a nice bow. We talked about initially even some more like biblical interpretation ideas around this text seems difficult and confusing and challenging and stuff. And you gave them the option. They could either throw it out and say it mm -hmm. wasn't in there. And pro Jesus probably mm -hmm. didn't say that's like this extreme that we, that we don't want to go to. You can say, no, it means it just have more faith and just don't worry. And mm -hmm. that's not the route we want to go. But what, what you're suggesting, even with the conclusion of this conversation is, yeah, this is hard. And that's sit in that. Yeah, and and, and uh, linger there. This well, is gonna be a challenging thing. It's not like the truth of the scriptures and the way of Jesus is like this thing where you're like, ding, light bulb, cool, easy, next step, cakewalk. Yeah, it's super hard. And and and, yeah. and and some of this comes down to something that we'll talk about a little bit this week. Jesus says, Um, are you not much more valuable than they? Your father feeds them, are you not yeah. much more valuable than they? Actually believing that your father thinks that you're more valuable than they is harder than it sounds sometimes. Totally. Like do, do, when, when we think about present anxiety, one of the conversations will be, uh, how does God see us? Because that theoretically is the thing that matters most. But, but just like think about influence, like when you, when you see your kids go off to school eight hours a day, you suddenly realize they'll spend more time with their friends than they'll spend with you. It's possible that's also correlated with they'll start to worry more about what their friends think about them than what you think about them. Yep. Same is true with this father that we're talking about. Like, like in the end, does it matter what he thinks about us? Because it should. Yeah. But but maybe it doesn't. Yeah, and yeah, totally. So that's yeah. the tension. But that's next week. That's next week. We'll talk about that soon. Anything else you want to cover? No. This was a lovely awesome. conversation. That's great.
Have a great um, week, guys. Yeah, we'll have a great see week. you next oh, week. We did not get questions. I know we've talked about this last few weeks. We didn't get any questions this week <laughs> where we had this question for ourselves. Maybe we don't need to a- a- invite Maybe questions. Maybe we're so good at putting bows on arguments, bringing everything around to conclusion. We're just that clear <laughs> and that... <laughs> We laugh because it just doesn't feel that, that way doesn't at all. Feel that way at all. Um, but it does mean that maybe some of the content is uh, just something that people want to process and they don't have a question ready yet. But we'll see. We're going to still offer that text, uh, text in your question things on the weekends, and we'll see how it goes over the next few weeks. If we don't get any questions over the next few weeks, maybe that just won't be part of the show. And maybe we'll just, we'll just leave the number up forever, and then like six months in suddenly someone will ask a question and we're like wow what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow right that's the question we'll get yeah what is the uh unladen an african swallow or a european swallow that's the correct answer ah which kind of bear is best black bear black bear (laughs) definitely wow we had a monty python (laughs) quote and an office quote that's a great way to wrap the show uh, we love y'all, and we'll see ya. Like, subscribe, next. Share YouTube time. videos. Indeed, all the things, because it's helpful. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this, so feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.